welcome back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you for believing in me. I'd also like to thank Paul Cardall for this beautiful music we're listening to. He has allowed me to, he's given me permission to use uh, one of his uh, songs on here, and it's just fantastic. It brings a good spirit to the room. And I also want to thank all of you listeners for time and time again sharing these amazing belief casts to your family and friends we're just blowing up and it's growing and it's because of you guys but it's also because of the amazing guests we have on and today is no different we are joined by uh, Lark Dean Galley thanks for joining us Lark thanks Todd I really appreciate being here you betcha so um, she is the author of learning to breathe again choosing to heal after losing a loved one to suicide and we're gonna really get into this book today um, you know, Lark experienced a very devastating loss back in uh, March of 2019, um, losing her son to suicide. He was 19 years old. His name is Christian. Yes. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately, even before that, uh, you had lost your father to suicide five years earlier than that. And so you've been through a lot. And I'm so excited in the sense that you're here because you said, you know, I, in reading up on a bunch of stuff that you've done, you know, you found your why, you found your purpose. And you want to you want to help so many people uh, regarding you know around suicide and things like that. And so you're also you also do uh, consulting. You have your own consulting business, correct? Right. And how long have you been doing that? So that's probably been about nine years on and off. I I also own some other businesses, but in the last twenty months, I've sort of they're still going, but they're yeah. kind of on the back burner. Well, you you know you've done you know a lot of coaching and and counseling with a lot of high level achieving business people and it was interesting that you have found similar to what your son Christian was going through that they felt unworthy to reach their goals you know or in other words just they didn't feel good enough right which is amazing because you you see these people who are crushing it they're on top right. of their game yeah and you think oh they can't possibly have any insecurities right but as I'm coaching them I'm finding out that oh I can't possibly accomplish this next goal because I'm not good enough or someone is better wow. or I'm not the expert yeah. and it blew me away because they had already accomplished so much that we had been working on together yeah. And here they were saying, well, I can't do this next thing, which in my opinion, wasn't even as hard as what they had already done. Right, wow. Well, you, you have a goal to help 100,000 people choose to stay on this planet and step into their greatness. Yes. I can't wait to talk about that, that is fantastic. Well, you know, I, why don't we start with, just tell us a little bit about you, actually. Where did you grow sure. up and a little bit about your family? Okay, so I uh, wrote about this chapter in my book and it wasn't until I finished that I learned something about myself. You know, as you write things down, you reflect. Right. One is several of my um, my pre-readers said, I didn't know you your, your growing up was so messed up. And my first thought was, well, I didn't think it was messed up because it was normal, right? <laughs> right it was yeah. normal for me. It's what you knew, yeah. <laughs> it was what I knew. <laughs> I thought, you know, that it was normal to move every year and go to a different school every year and to have instability and not necessarily have food readily available at wow. home or, you know, just a father who was undiagnosed bipolar. It wasn't until he was mm. in his 50s that they really? finally diagnosed what was going on. But when he was on top of things, he made everything an adventure. Right. So it always kind of felt fun as a kid, right? Yeah, sure. But it wasn't until I was looking back that I could realize the instability that this created in me. The other thing it helped me realize is that I tried to counterbalance my youth 
by the way I parented. Oh, okay. So due to the lack of structure in my youth, I was overstructured as a parent to the oh. point where my son would often call me OCD. Okay. Which yeah. I don't think I'm OCD. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where I always felt everything has a place. It sure. needs to be in its place. We need to be clean. We need to be on time. It was very strict Structured. and regimented. Yeah. Yes. My husband's 35 years in the military, so you can only imagine between the two of us right. the regiments that we sort of inflicted upon our children. Yeah, it's interesting how when we have a certain belief formed as we're younger that we either that kind of even sets us back and we kind of close in or we go the other direction and we overcompensate, right? Yes, and lots so of overcompensating, of, yes. Yeah. So what was that like as a kid? I mean, did you... Were you a confident kid? I mean, because you, you know, I'm sitting here with you right now and you've got good energy about you, confidence. Was it, how was that growing up? You know, I think mostly I was confident. I was the oldest of seven kids. And the, the thing I will say about my father is that he always, maybe not spoken, but unspoken, let me know that I could achieve anything I wanted to in life. Right. I just felt that growing up. Sure. And and so even though we didn't have a lot of money, and it wasn't until I was probably junior high, high school, right in there, that, that the disparity become very clear, you know, when I didn't have very many clothes at all to wear to school, or I was wearing what we would call high waters, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> Those kinds of things. Um, yeah. It just, that's when it started to come out, and uh, when maybe friends would come over, or I'd go to their house. Suddenly, I realized... Um, you know, having nine people live in a two-bedroom house, really small two-bedroom house, that wasn't really normal. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting, again, what we go through kind of shapes what we do. And, and you know, you've obviously learned a lot through all of these things we've talked about and then obviously what you went through with your son. Um, I want to kind of talk about how you got to that point where you even felt like writing a book about it, right? Right. <laughs> you know, so I... So I guess, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Why don't you just take us through, let's talk about just your life with your son, Christian, and just how that was going, and then how you started, you know, you didn't see maybe the signs in the beginning, but you obviously looking back and go, man, this was going on, this was going on. So if you wouldn't mind, just take us through that story. Sure. Um, so for all those parents out there who are struggling in their relationships with their children, I struggled with my son. Like every day, it was an argument. He was just very combative with me. Mm -hmm. Super sweet boy, very kind, very intellectual. Everybody else got the best of Christian, right? Right. Mom got the worst. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like I, I felt he thought I was his jailer or preventing or, him right. from doing things. And I'm just like, no, son, you know, you need to take a shower every day. You need to bring down your dirty clothes and let's get them washed. Yeah. Um, you need to take out the trash when it's full. You know, all of these these chores that may be five to ten minutes a day. But you would have thought, you know, he spent more tar time arguing about doing the right. chores than it would have taken him to do the chores. Wow. And, and that just the incessant arguing was yeah. was so hard for me. Um, and yet I still tried every way that I could and got professional help to try to help me in my relationship with him. Right. And um, his when he was 18, getting ready to graduate from high school, I am very happy because I'm like, you're done. 
Right. I have fulfilled my obligation. Yeah. You know, you need to pack your bags and go out there and do all the things that you think I'm stopping you from doing. I was, I was elated. I was actually surprised at how happy I was. Really? Uh, I felt like I finally could see some light and get out of a jail in a sense. Yeah. He uh, got a girlfriend that summer between uh, high school and college. Okay. And he suddenly became very polite and right. very uh, much kinder to me. And I said, you know what? Maybe we can we can work things out, right? Right, yeah. I just can't have all this arguing. Um, and so what happened was he stepped it up a little bit with keeping his room and his areas clean, yeah. right? And I was able to slacken up a bit <laughs> right. on, on the, the level of cleanliness that I demanded. <laughs> yeah. And we were able to come to this somewhat of a truce. And so he was living with us that first year of his college. And he was at the University of Utah in the mechanical engineering department. Okay. And like I said, this kid was brilliant. When he was six years old, he could argue with me like a seasoned attorney. Like <laughs> he was right and I was wrong. And he really was right at six. You know, I was just <laughs> like, please son, just do it. <laughs> Don't argue. Right. And, and so he was brilliant and he always wanted to go into this mechanical engineering. He had very good conception, um, how things could be built. And so it was something he wanted to do. He had friends, he had hobbies, and yet some things happened kind of all at once that impacted the way he saw his future. Mm. And I think he just gave up in despair and thought, why why go on? Right. And so my husband and I did not see this coming. You know, we were we completely right. caught off guard and it broke our hearts, devastated us. My son was my husband's best friend. Yeah my husband found him my like I said my husband was 35 years in the military and he wow. had served in Afghanistan he'd been in Iraq finding our son with a bullet hole in his head was the worst thing that ever happened to my husband yeah I can't even imagine how hard that would be to see something like that you know um you know, you, you mentioned in your book here um, about that, obviously, you talk about those things. And so your husband finds your son. Again, you didn't see this coming. And I think a lot of parents mm -hmm. who have gone through this probably would say the same thing mm -hmm. in, in the moment. We didn't, we didn't think it would go that route or, you know, or, or go that far. So what, as your husband finds him, I think you were at work. Right. I was teaching a class. Yeah, you were teaching a class. That's yes. what, yeah. <laughs> and so... To, to walk us through that because I know you, you, you received some news while you were working there and you were just kind of like, couldn't like in denial almost, right. right? And this is another thing that kind of came to me, you know, as you reflect back on, on incidences. Because of my father's mental illness, mm -hmm. he had created in all of our, all of the children, all my siblings were the same way, this um, emotional detachment. And I have had to really work to overcome that, to be able to emotionally attach to people. I mean, okay. even married to my husband now, you know, many years, yeah. sometimes, you know, there are things he can do and I just will turn off a switch like we're done, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I've had to work on that and realize that once again, that's not normal, right? That to, yeah. to, to escalate from zero to a hundred just so fast. Right. And so when the policeman came in, to me and he you know I was teaching the class he asked for me we went to the back room and, and he said I'm here to tell you that your son is dead and I didn't react 
I, I completely like yeah. shut down. My mind was like, no, I'm denial. That's not possible. I saw him, you know, just yesterday morning when he went to school and he came home late. So I didn't see him. And then I left early and I didn't, you know, check on him. And he just was telling me, no, he, I'm, and I'm thinking, well, was he in a car accident? You know, because I had no right. idea. And then he said, no, he shot himself at home. And I was just, that's, that's not possible. And I didn't cry for a week. I just shut it off. Yeah. I, and I, I've heard, you know, cause I've been in this business, um, that, that happens, that's happens often where people just shut it off. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's too hard to even think or comprehend something like yes. that. Exactly. Yeah, so I, you know, you hear this, you know, it was interesting also what I read in your book um, about what was kind of going on before that, like that day, I think, where you said the irony of suicide is even though that people feel worse during the winter months, the majority of them don't take their life until the spring when they start to feel better. In retrospect, I think Christian had a plan back in the back of his mind when things got too hard, he had already decided he was going to be done. Yes. And that... You know, you, and at that day, he also was like, he got his chores done. He was oh, neat yes. and tidy, everything, oh my gosh, like yes. stuff and you're thinking, but that was another sign mm -hmm. of that you talk about in your book. That, that's what I've heard. You know, I, of course, I, even though my father died by suicide, it wasn't something that, that I really took on. I didn't even talk about my father's suicide. My best friends didn't know how he died really? okay. because of the shame and stigma so, so much around that. And this January um, 2021 will be seven years since his death. Wow. And and so I had sort of stuffed all of that down. And then with my son's death, I started really exploring suicide and what, what happens. And the night before, he, I had gone to bed. My husband was up. He Because of PTSD and all of that, right. he has a hard time sleeping. So he was up. My son came home about 11 o'clock at night. And my husband, of course, feels like that's the prime time to have a parent-child discussion. Okay, I will tell you right now, nighttime, everybody's tired. It's not the prime time, right? It's not right? prime time, yeah. Um, and, and this is a hard thing. It's where parents want to push their child to do better, and yet at what point have you pushed them too hard? And, and that's a fine line. It is yeah. really hard. Uh, my son had been in a car accident two weeks prior. He was going to have to come out of pocket with a deductible, which he had in his bank account. You know, it's right. just, you know, $500 is a lot for a 19-year-old. For sure, yeah. And then his he finally admitted to my husband that night that his grades had been slipping a little bit. He was getting, you know, Bs and Cs. It was getting harder. And then just the fact that my, my husband was kind of saying, you've got to do better. You know, you've got to do this and this. They were very close. And I think that he just felt he had disappointed his father. Yeah. He went, did all his chores, took the trash out, you know, put the the um, hand wash dishes away, yeah. which are his two chores. And so ironically, that next morning when I got up, I noticed that his chores were done, which yeah. kind of shocked me. And I'm like, oh, thank you, son. You know, I'm thinking to myself, not that I saw him, but thank you. Right. You're just and, thinking that. Yeah. And I left for my class, you know, just feeling very good towards my son. Um, my son then my husband went to bed and then my son went and changed into one of his favorite suits and he did not go to bed. He, he ended up shooting himself that night. And like I said, I didn't know until the next morning and my husband usually hears my son get ready and he didn't hear him get ready. So he went up to check 
and that's when he found him. That's when he found him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know, there's, you know, you mentioned some of these signs that you're seeing, and obviously it's, you know, now you can look back and go, okay, this was going on, this was going on. What Was there any other signs besides the ones you mentioned that you now noticed? There was a couple things. One is that he, he and my husband would um, – wrestle a lot right and as yeah. my son got older <laughs> he know, and my husband was injured from the from afghanistan and you know yeah. he's getting older and he's hurting yeah. my son and i noticed this just within the last couple weeks um before his death he was getting more aggressive with my husband in kind of a horseplay way mm-hmm. but t- to the point where he was actually hurting my husband and oh, my husband yeah. would say christian too much <laughs> too much you know too much and he was having to repeat this, and I, I kind of stepped in and I said, "Son, you know, you're, you're really hurting your father." But it was more aggression than I, than I had seen in him before, right. right? Towards his father, who was his best friend. Sure, yeah. The other thing that I want to bring up was three and a half years prior to his death, when he was uh, 15, turning 16, he was a sophomore, just barely starting, starting his sophomore year. Once again, you know, out on the front porch. Father and son, parental conversation. You know, yeah. son, you really got to keep your grades up this year if you want to get into college and do the things you want to do. And you need to do X, Y, Z and, you know, toe the line type conversations, right? right? Yeah. Which we parents often have. Yep. Yeah, and think... he noticed my son was detaching emotionally, uh, physically. He could see him detaching from the conversation. Mm. My husband's had training in, in suicide sure, yeah. because of the military. Yeah. He had the presence of mind to ask my son, are you thinking of suicide? Those are hard words, but he said that. That's a scary question because yes. you don't want the answer maybe, right? Right, but you need, you need to ask that. You don't say, are you, hurt, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Because they're already hurting. They're yeah. not thinking that they're okay. going to hurt themselves some more. They're going to end the pain. So mm. are you thinking of suicide? And my son said yes. So that's a hard conversation, but both of them could be honest. Yeah. My husband immediately walked into the house. He said, Christian's feeling suicidal. Please go sit with him and talk to him. I'm going to call the military hotline for suicide and get an appointment. So this was Sunday evening. Got him in to see the therapist the next day. And so I kind of talked to my son. I'm like, are you feeling suicidal? You know, and once again, like sort of in denial. Yeah, right. Because, well, I think most people crosses their mind. Oh, you know, life's too hard. I just want to be done. What most people don't do is come up with a plan. Mm. And my son had come up with a plan. Okay. And and that's what makes it a little bit scarier, right? Is when they've they've actually thought through the process. So I took him to the therapist the next day. He's in there for an hour. I'm sitting outside. And finally, they call me in. And the therapist says to my son, do you want to tell your mom or should I? And my son said, well, I'll tell her. And I'm all curious. I can't yeah, wait to like, hear this one. This? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he said, mom, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. And I sort of looked at him like, okay. I said, son, I believe God is science, but you know, I can't make you believe anything. So yeah. that's fine. Whatever you believe. Right. The, the sad part for me was that he looked at me like he expected me to become angry. Like to be mad. Yes. Yeah. And I really hurt about that because I thought, what at what point have I pushed or gotten so far down the road that my son can't have an honest conversation with me or he thinks that I'm going to kick him out of the house or whatever. And that's one of the lessons as I look back um, to say, you know, as parents, we need to be prepared for when our kids come in and say, 
mom, I got my girlfriend pregnant or mom, I'm gay Mm -hmm. or mom, I don't believe in God. I know you do, but I don't. Yeah. What are we going to do? And quite honestly, you know, if one of my daughters had come in as a young teenager or whatever and said, mom, I'm pregnant, I might have reacted a lot differently than I would today. Yeah. And I feel that we as parents, we cannot parent like we used to be parented or that, that we were parented. That we, yeah. Life has changed. There are so many pressures on children, especially right now with COVID. Yes. It's huge. And we do not understand everything they're going through. And my plea to parents is understand where they are, take an interest in what they're doing, step back a little bit. It doesn't matter if your child isn't, you know, the seat number one in the violin orchestra or that they're number one on the football team or whatever else, they just need to know that you love them no matter what. Yeah. You know, and I'm so glad you said that, Lark, that we need to parent differently because you nailed it right on the head that, you know, you got COVID going on. You know, we just had a presidential election. We, you know, the the riots and the the economy and everything that's going on right now. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never had more clients this year who have felt or even thought of and planned out a suicide. I mean, I haven't seen this many in it's 30 scary. years. Yeah. It's really scary. It, it, I call it an epidemic. It's the number one killer of youth in Utah. It's the number two killer nationwide. And wow. even though my father died by suicide, which increased the chances of another family member dying by suicide, increased them by 50%. Once again, I didn't See, know I this. Did, I didn't know that yeah. either. Wow. Even though the high school two cities over was having a rash of suicides, my thought as a parent in my home was, oh, that won't happen here. won't happen to my kids. My kids are different. They know we love them. They know that, that they're protected. Everything's fine. Yeah. And it wasn't fine. And that's why I'm telling parents, you do not want to walk this road. Right. So do you think it's important then, based on what you're saying, is to sit down with your kids and even ask that tough question. Yes. Yes. Hey, are you, have, are you suicidal? Have you ever thought of it? Um, where are you, you know, have you been depressed to the point where you've thought of that? Yes, because this is what I didn't know until later. Uh, my son went to about two months of therapy, and then he said, Mom, I'm good. I got this. And I, I said, great, son, good job. No worries. I never had another mental wellness checkup with him between the three years between when he said, Mom, I'm good, and his death. And mm. that is my biggest regret. I watched, but I couldn't see any outward signs. Yeah. But unbeknownst to me, as I write in the epilogue in my book, yeah. I got an email from one of his friends who said, Christian and I would share. And for two years, he told me how he was depressed, how he struggled, mm-hmm. and how he thought about suicide. She goes, I thought about telling you, but I, I didn't think it was that serious. And my heart breaks because it it was that serious. Yeah. Well, I think too, like friends might even be nervous to go tell the parent like, hey, you know, I'm thinking that your son might be suicidal or, I mean, that's again, scary for someone to come to a parent, uh, someone else's parents to say that, right? I will tell you that this is, this happened and just kind of triggered me um, back when my younger daughter was about 15 and uh, needed to have her phone taken away. (laughs) You know, one of those situations. Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I went through her messages and she was very close 
to to a boy, um, just very close as friends, not boyfriend, girlfriend, just friends. Right. And the boy had mentioned in his text to her that he was feeling suicidal. And I saw that. And I said, oh, my goodness, I have two choices here. One, I can look away or two, I can contact his parents. Mm. It's hard. It was hard. Right. Um, But I thought if I were this child's parents, I would want to know. Yeah. And I reached out to the parents and I said, I'm a little bit embarrassed to be contacting you about this, but I will feel like you should know your son is feeling suicidal. And the parents were completely shocked. They had no idea, right? Well, find out a little bit later, you know, the boy was feeling um, gay tendencies and he couldn't tell his parents and he was feeling very strange and awkward at school and all of these things, right? And and so since then, you know, he's come out and he's very open about it, but it was kind of a shock for his parents. What's the choice there for those parents? To shun or close out that child or get to the point where the child dies by suicide or just say, I love you no matter what. Yeah. Mm, choking me up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I shed a lot of tears and <clears throat> I never know, like I told you earlier, who's going to show up to the interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah same here. So I, I sit here. But thank you for yeah. being so vulnerable right now. Um, you talked about in your book um, the shame and stigma around around this yes and you even said it in the beginning that you didn't even tell anyone about your own father's suicide what why do you think there's such a stigma around it and how do we break through that it's it seems like it's a weakness or you know if somebody's hurt physically it or they have cancer or something it's it's not necessarily their fault but yeah but a lot of us who have never felt the effects of depression we cannot understand where these people are coming from. And I've actually felt depression to the point where, you know, okay, I want to end things. Right. Not that I came up with a plan, but I was in a dark hole. And this is what I try to, to explain yeah. to people who have not felt this. If you gash your arm open and you've got to go to the doctor and he's got to stitch it up and you, you know, get some pain medication, yeah. etc., you know, at some point it's going to get better and it will heal. But when you are feeling depressed and you have a hole in your chest and you don't know how it's going to get better or if it will ever get better and it hurts, like it's a physical pain. It hurts just as if you had gashed your arm open. And, you know, for people who haven't felt that, they're looking at it and saying, oh, think positive or let's be happy today. That doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, so I love that you wrote this book because I think this is part of getting rid of that stigma, yes. right? This book, and what I love about your book, it's you're real and you're raw and you're you're not afraid to talk about where you went wrong. Yes. And I love that vulnerability. And so talk about how, how did you come to that point where you're like, okay, this has happened. I've got to accept what's happened. And I also got to look at my own self and where mm-hmm. could I have been better and done how did you get to that point? So the first couple of days after my son's death, I wanted to just sink in, stay in bed, just yeah. sink into myself. And I actually went into five months depression when my father died. And I felt myself going into that depression with my son. Mm. I felt it. And I, I could so easily have gone down that black hole. Two things happened. One, I saw my other kids and my husband. They were struggling. 
and we had to have some hard conversations about where they were with their mental wellness at that point. Yeah, I can it was imagine. pretty scary. Sure. And I realized that I I didn't have the luxury of five months, five days, five weeks, five decades to go into a hole because they might not be there when I came out. Right. And the second thing that happened was I had three moms reach out to me and they had teenagers who were Christian's age that knew Christian. And the moms explained how their children had been struggling. One had attempted, one's child had attempted suicide the year before unsuccessfully. Mm. The other one, you know, was considering very close. Right. And these mothers are just walking on eggshells and they are, their hearts are breaking. And I started to realize that this situation, it's not about me. It's not about how I failed as a parent, how I failed my son. It wasn't about what my son was going through, his struggles. And I couldn't change whether or not these, these other kids chose to end their lives by suicide. But what could I do? I could do one thing, and that's whether or not I chose to speak out. Right. And within just a couple days after those phone calls, I started posting on social media. I started sharing, my son died by suicide. This is what's happening. Parents wake up. And suddenly, wow. like, my whole life changed. I had this life mission wow that is dictating almost everything I do right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, and, and it's, it's interesting that people are reaching out to you as well. And obviously they're hurting. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of parents are like that where one, I don't want to talk about it cause it's scary, but two, what do I even say and how do we even handle this? Right. You know, and there are so many things you can do. You don't have to just, you know, ambush them and say, right. hey, I heard this podcast. Are you thinking of suicide, right? Right. <laughs> so let's say like when your kids come home from school or you see them during the day, right? What's what's the best thing that happened to you today? Yeah. Get them to talk to you. Oh, what's the worst thing that happened to you? Yeah. Because yeah. what you're trying to avoid is emotional flatlining. Once you've separated yourselves from your emotions then it's very easy to separate yourself physically from this world. Right. We detach emotionally and then we detach physically. Wow. And, and so engage in your, with your children in these conversations, help them to see the highs and the lows, help them say, what's your biggest struggle right now? I mean, what's, what's the heaviest thing? What's going on? What, yeah. What's happening? And take the time. This is not while you're listening to a podcast and trying to multitask or, you know, all the things that we're trying to do. Yes, we're busy. But I can promise you, if you don't get your relationships right with your children, nothing else will matter. Wow. So well said. Thank you. You know, it, it hit me. One of the things that I've uh, tried to teach my clients who have children is to challenge them to take each one of their children, no matter how many they have on an individual date, at least once a month. Yes. And again, like you said, cultivating that relationship so that when you do ask the hard questions, it's not some like where where's this coming from? Why are you talking to me now? Right. Like you said, we're multitasking. <laughs> we got the podcast going. Hey, I need to talk to you real quick. No, we you've got to massage the relationship, and um, and that way you can ask these difficult questions, yes. and they're going to be more open yes. to telling you about that. Um, I want to read another part of your book okay. here, um, and it's about when you kind of started to change to take your power back. You said on Tuesday, only six days after my son's passing, I was finally ready to tell the world how he had died. I had made a decision <clears throat> that while I could not change the past, I would do all in my power to change the future. I, 
I would find meaning in this tragedy and a reason to move forward in life rather than choosing to shrink back. The dark hole started to recede and the very rocky journey began. It didn't make the loss easier, but it did make it more manageable. Sharing my message of value and hope became my reason for getting out of bed. Yes. Wow. You know, and, and so that's six days after where you have this kind of lack of a better way of saying it, change of heart yes. around this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of been your life's mission since then, right? Yes. And um, obviously I know it's still probably very, very difficult for you. To Th- there are some days that are harder, especially, you know, my son's birthday was in October. Then you have Thanksgiving yeah. in November and Christmas, yeah. you know, coming up. For and sure. When it, it's always there subconsciously, it's always there, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you made it very clear, very specific. You want to help 100,000 people choose to stay on this planet. Yes. How are you going to do that? Like in your mind, what's that look like? So I'll, I'll tell you how I came up with that first. Okay. So my son died March 2019, you know, and I am I have this great idea. Okay, I'm going to be on people's podcasts. I'm going to share the message, which is part of what I'm doing. Sure. Uh, eventually came up with the idea. Okay, write a book. Still kind of struggled with writing the book, you know. I'd uh-huh. pick it up for a month and then I'd put it down, and which is why it took me so long, just because it was so emotional. Yeah. And then January of this year, Jan- January 2020, early January, you know, before like the world went crazy, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, I, I'm still struggling, you know, yeah. like what is my why? Okay, my mission, but sometimes it was it was really heavy. And so I was in this business class and we were doing a meditation. And they said, think of the end of your life. What what do you want to see? My husband's from New Orleans, LSU fan, rabid fan. You know, <laughs> yeah. I know more about LSU oh, than I any bet. human should know. <laughs> uh, their stadium holds just over 100,000 people. And in this meditation, I saw myself standing on a stage at LSU Stadium filled with people, 100,000 people. And they're walking across the stage. And they're saying, thank you for sharing your message because what you said helped me decide to stay on this planet. And I realized once again, it's not about me. It's about these people because if I can touch one person's life and they can touch two people's lives and four people and it just spreads from there, we need to stay on this planet. We are so interconnected with each other and we need each other so much more than I ever imagined. Right. And if one person can stick around and stay, so that they can help another person down the road, even when it's hard for them right now. But right. down the road in a few years, they're there for someone else to say, I, I know what it's like. I was in a hard place like you are, but, but I decided to make it through, and I know you can too. And that's what I've been doing is just like sharing mm-hmm. my message yeah. and getting it out there. And now I want to move more into the corporate world, which is where I'm familiar with. Yeah, because sure. Because there's so much depression going on there. I went through what's called professional grief, you know, Mm -hmm. where with my father's death, I would go to meetings. I would take notes. And two days later, I'm looking at those notes and I would say, I don't remember being in the meeting. I don't remember what I'm supposed to do with these notes. That's my handwriting, but I don't remember anything. Yeah. And then for example, what happens when someone is feeling these, uh, this grief and you have an employee that comes in? and they've lost someone or their child is terminally ill, 
how do you motivate them? Right. Because there's pretty much everything that motivated them in the past is completely changed. Right. How do you allow them grace to perform their job? Maybe not at the point that you would want them to or the level, but to allow them some time to come to terms with this. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, again, out of tragedy comes this blessing in the sense that you will, you are going to help so many people. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you. You got a, I mean, you got such a great energy about you. And, and I, I can feel your passion. I'm sure everyone listening to this can feel it as well. I mean, just, you know, even reading your book, I, it was, I mean, it grabbed me from the beginning. It was like, whoa, this is, I was kind of mean at the beginning, yes, wasn't I? <laughs> I was like going, wow, this, this woman ain't afraid, is she? You know, you get right after it. I do. You know what? And I, I just, it's one of these books where it's, it's either going to grab you and you can't put it down or you're going to start and you're not going to even be able to read the first, the first page. Right. Right. It's one yeah. of those either or. Yeah. No, but I'm glad. I think it's. I think it's important that you are like that because, again, this is serious. This is real. This, this is this, real. This is not just oh, you know, it's happening out there. With the statistics of suicide, if you have not been impacted by suicide, you will be. It's that prevalent. You know, we talk about COVID and how oh, I know somebody who died or I know people who get it and blah blah blah. Okay, suicide is not that far behind. Right. Those statistics. It is scary. Wow. Yeah, that is scary to hear it like that. So if, if we have some families or an individual listening to this right now who are thinking of suicide, what, what is something, I mean, you've shared some amazing things already, but what, what's something you could share to them right now? What, if you had to speak to their soul right now, what would you tell them? I would tell them that there is hope and there is help. And it might take a little while to find the right uh, things that are going to help you. Uh, if it's medication, it's okay. If it helps you live and function in a way that you are happy and can get out of bed, that's fine. Right. Um, if it's finding some tools, some some meditation, some exercise, you know, spending time with family and friends, that's part of why this whole COVID isolation is increasing right. the numbers of suicide because people are feeling fearful, they're uncertain about their future, but they also, um, they're isolated and and speaking from experience, both from myself and from watching my father, when you're in a depression, you think the answer is to be alone and be away from people. When in right. reality, it's the opposite. It's yeah. to be with people to help you feel yeah. connected and to feel loved. Yeah. And so as much as possible, even with quarantines and lockdowns, all of this, Zoom, at least, you know, <laughs> at least you can see somebody, right? right. Um, FaceTime, all of that connect, reach out to people and, and find somebody that you trust and can share with what's going on. Um, in Utah, we have the safe UT app, which is wonderful. You can reach out there. And even if you know that your friend is having suicide ideation, you can reach out and ask for help. And this is anonymous. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that I had a 12 year old girl as well, she's one of my clients just this week, she came to a session and she told me, one of her uh, schoolmates, same age, 12 years old, reached out to her and said, I'm thinking of ending my life. And she went to the, the Safe, Safe UT, UT uh -huh. app and um, reached out to them. And they contacted this kid, went and actually 
went to this kid's house, yes. sat with him for a couple hours, talking him through this, and he sent her a text after the meeting and said, thank you so much. Yes. That's exactly what I needed. Yeah. Because we don't want to interfere or get involved maybe, but if you can save this person's life. Yes. You know, we, we often look at mental illness or mm -hmm. this suicide as, oh, now they're going to hell. You know, they've yeah. done the worst thing possible. My belief is that people who take their lives are not in their right minds. They have crossed that barrier, that, you know, that sort of self-preservation. They've crossed the barrier and they, they are taking their life because they're in so much pain. And we should have compassion on them, not condemn them and right. say, what was it that was so bad that they felt this, this was the way they could, you know, overcome this or move forward. And so many people who die by suicide, I think of my father, probably my son, they think in their minds that they are a burden to their families. Mm. They are not a burden. And so parents, make sure you're talking to your children. Do not ever let them feel that they are a burden or that you would be better off without them. Right. And I think a lot of times as parents, we assume we're not doing that, right? We just assume everything's, I'm not doing that with my kids. But I think like you said earlier, that's why it's so important that we have those conversations. Yes. So we can actually, I mean, that might even be a question to ask. Do you feel like, you, do I make you feel like you're a burden yes. to our family? I mean, that's a tough question too. And I mentioned right? in there that uh, two weeks before my son's death, I had a dinner with him, just the two of us. And I yeah. said, you know, what, what do you think that mom did bad? What could I have done better? What rules do you want yeah. to change in the family? Tell, give me some feedback. And I had to sit there and listen to, you know, yeah. your child telling you how you could have done a better Where job. Where you could be better. And not doing it so that I can jump on him or, or right. you know, justify myself or any of that, but just to listen and hear what he's saying. Yeah. Well, again, try, you're trying to connect. Yes. Right? And and I love that you said that. I think connection is so critical I saw a quote once, and I, th I can't remember who said it, so I apologize, but um, it says, we're never more fully alive than when we're connected. Yes. And so um, I think that's a really good message that you shared, and I really do appreciate that, that advice. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. You know, so if someone wants to get their hands on this book, which they need to, <laughs> uh, even if you – I just think every parent should read this. Right. I've had – uh, a 25 year old friend who read it. She's not, she's never dealt with, you know, any suicide issues in right. her family. She doesn't even have kids. <laughs> and she said, this, this book changed me, <laughs> you know, wow. because it can help us just look at life differently and say, what am I doing that, that I, maybe I shouldn't be doing? How can I be more empathetic with people around me? How can I just reach out in love and understanding? Right. So the book is on Amazon or you can find it on my website, larkdeangalley.com. Okay. And what other, uh, you know, programs do you offer? I know you do a whole bunch of things. <laughs> right. Well, you know, as I'm, I'm out there talking to parents about, you know, you need to be aware about this. And, and then they'd come back to me and say, I'm aware. <laughs> what, what can I do now? And I'm like, oh, let me think. So I actually have a resources tab on my, on my website so people can go there. Um, I would say that first and foremost, get help, you know, either for yourself or if, if as a parent you need to improve your parenting skills, um, getting your own your own help, it is yeah. not a weakness to reach out and for ask sure. for help yeah. to make you better. And uh, one of the things that was really difficult for me is when my son passed away, I just felt this overwhelming sense that he he hated me, he didn't love me, that that I had failed him. 
And my, my older daughter pointed out, she goes, Mom, you were always trying to help him. Yeah. And, and I thought, he's, she's right. Just, I had just finished a book about parenting that had allowed me to have that dinner conversation that dinner, with my yeah, son. For sure. Um, back at Christmas, just three months prior to his death, I had been taking a one-on-one counseling session with a yeah. parental counselor to help me make wow. it through Christmas with my son. Yeah. And I realized I never gave up on him. Wow. Well, you received a really sacred message from your son. I did. The, do you, do you yeah, feel comfortable sure. sharing I, that? Yeah, yes, I do. Um, the week after he died, like I mentioned, I was really feeling depressed right. and just felt like I had failed him. The week after he died, three different people came to me and said, I have a message for you from your son. And I'm like, okay, Twilight Zone, right? Yeah, right. You're like, excuse <laughs> and, me? <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a little bit leery because, you know, sure. you, you, you hear about people trying to capitalize on other people's grief or whatever, right? right? Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I think I will know <laughs> if this is yeah. from my son or not. And they said exactly what I needed to hear. They said, your son wants me to tell you that he loves you. Tell my mom that I love her is what he said three times to me from right. three different people. And the, the third one, who was my aunt at the funeral, aunt, she said, yep. Christian said to tell you that he loves you and that he finally understands. So this was just barely a week after his death. And that that he finally understands was kind of a key thing for me. Cute, yeah. Because when I would rage in my head about all the things that I was dealing with my yeah. son, you know, and, and trying to parent the best way that I knew how and him pushing back. Sure. And I, I believe that when we die that we'll, you know, stand before our maker and kind of have to look at all of our actions and how they affected other people. Yeah. And I would say to myself, someday you're going to understand how your actions and your words impacted me and how much they hurt me. So when he said, tell my mom that I love her and that I finally understand, I knew that he knew wow. that I had done the very best I could because I loved him and I wanted wow. the best for him. Yeah. Wow, what a sacred and precious message. And I feel that as I share his story, I feel him with me. I'm actually closer to my son now than before his death. You know, I believe that, and I get chills to even think about it. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's why he's there supporting you, pushing you along this road and this mission that you're on to, you know, have a hundred thousand people say, you know, I'm here. I want to stay on this planet. I'm not leaving because of your message. I mean, that's amazing. And I do believe that. Yes, I really do. Um, I want to ask you another question. What's the best thing that's happened to you today? Just, couple things first of all the opportunity to connect with my daughter earlier uh she's in college you okay. know so she still lives at home so it's the younger daughter sure. but uh you know and and she's she's 20 she's old enough to kind of come and go as she wants yeah. but as a parent i i still want to know where she is a little oh bit, sure you know? yeah of course we have phone <laughs> trackers you know i yeah. mean just because you're 20 you still live at home right <laughs> you you uh -huh. get tracked yeah um <laughs> And this morning I got up and I realized that she had not come home. She had stayed at a friend's house, but she didn't tell me that she was staying away, you know, and just yeah. as out of courtesy, so I don't have to worry. And, you know, I wanted to initially shoot off a text like, we told you, and this is, this is the, you know, what yeah. I asked. This is too much to ask. I didn't say that. I simply said, remember that if you're going to stay away, just remember to send me a text 
so that I don't worry about you. Right. And she said, sorry, mom. And I look at that and I'm like, I had a choice this morning, right? You did. And I chose to make sure I didn't react in anger, but to just remind her like, hey, I'm concerned about you. And so she felt that concern instead of the anger. And, and I guess that's, that's a happy thing for me. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, I can't thank you enough, Lark, for being here today and, and sharing your, your message and being vulnerable with us. And again, this is a, this is a tough subject to talk about, but I'm so grateful we got people like you who are willing to talk about it. You know, it's so, it's so needed. We need people like you to, to help champion, to save lives and, and that. And I think this book needs to get in everyone's hand. It's again, it's learning to breathe again. Um, LarkDeanGalley.com is the place to find everything that you do Uh and they can have a link to the book and all that. And, and if you have a question for Lark, I, I challenge our listeners, please reach out to her. If you have a, if you even have a, if it's okay. Yeah. No, and my, my email's on the website. <laughs> okay. Well, here I am like, hey, everyone talking. You're like, hey, Todd, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, but, you know, if you feel like you have a son or a daughter or a, a friend or if you are struggling and having thoughts of suicide, please reach out, get the help. But reach out to Lark and ask her a question. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure she'll, you know, if she can't, ha- if she doesn't have the answer, she'll lead you and guide you to the p- people that do. And and uh, so I challenge you, our listeners to do that. And But again, thank you so much for taking the time today thank to be you. here with us. It, it means the world, of, the world to me to share this message that everyone has value. They are needed. There might be days that are hard. Stay in the game. Right. Stay in the game. I love it. Let's, let's help Lark achieve that goal of saving 100,000 people. You know, and I will do everything I can to continue to help support you. And I'm so grateful that I, I get to know you now. And Thank you. Yeah, I really, this is this has been a blessing for me too. And the feeling in this room has been amazing. I hope the listeners can feel this, you know, as they listen to these words, that there's something about this. Yes. And that's no accident, by the way. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lark. You're amazing. Please uh, reach out to her, you guys. And thank you so much for listening. I, I love you as well. And... This is just, I can't even believe I get to do these kind of things. And um, I just feel very fortunate to be a part of all of this. And thank you, listeners. I love you so much. And Lark, I wish you the best in everything that you're doing.